We're in for a treat. And uh, our three preachers have each been given a section to speak on from Ephesians chapter 1. If you've got a Bible on your phone, or uh, please turn to it. And they're going to read that. Uh, let me just introduce the passage. Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. And uh, this is an amazing bit of scripture. It's one of my favorites. No pressure there for the preachers. And uh, it's amazingly, it's a one sentence in the original. And uh, they've put punctuation, full stops and commas and what have you in the translation. But in the original, Paul was just so caught up with the thoughts that were pouring out of him that he didn't have time to put a, uh, to put a full stop or a comma or a colon for a breath. He just poured it out. And um, there are a few amazing things that stand out structurally. One is that it's all in the past. And what that means is all of the things here have already been given. All of the things here, they're not something we're waiting for or looking for or working for. They have already been given to us and done for us by Jesus, by the Father and by the Spirit. At the beginning of verse 3 and at the end of verse 14, you'll see it says, praise to God. Bless God, praise to his glory. And another couple of times it says that. Because when you understand all this, all the riches that are here, the kind of concentrated goodness of who God is and what he's given us, you can't help but praise. It starts with praise and ends with praise. And the other thing that we'll see as we go along in the readings is that over and over again, I think about five times, it says, in him, in him, in him, in him, in Jesus. All of these treasures come to us through Jesus. We are blessed. It says we're blessed with every blessing in the heavenly realms. So we're going to hear about blessings this evening. Join with me in praying for the three preachers, and then Lizzie's going to lead us off. Lord, thank you that you speak to us. Thank you that before we were conceived, you knew us, you thought of us, you loved us, you came for us, you worked good for us. We thank you for the truths here in this passage. We bless these three preachers, Lord. We bless Lizzie and Paddy and Fran. We pray that you'll give them peace and joy in opening up these truths to us. And Lord, we ask you, from your word, through these preachers, by your spirit, to speak to us tonight. Lord, we want to hear from you. We want to meet with you right here, right now. Amen. Okay, Lizzie, you're on. Round of applause for Lizzie. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Oh, this thing's loud. Um, I am Lizzie. For anyone who I haven't met yet, I am one of the St. Old Eights interns, and specifically, I work with St. Mary's, who is our amazing partnership church up in Barton. Um, so I'm going to be focusing on Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6. Um, so I'll read that for everyone to read along. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. 
In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Um, So, in these verses, Paul tells us that in Christ, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing by God the Father in love. And then Paul goes on to tell us what some of these spiritual blessings are, that we would be seen by God as holy and blameless in his sight, that we are to be adopted as sons by God. But the first thing I want to highlight is the premise of these blessings, which is being in Christ. It's really easy and tempting and actually makes perfect grammatical sense to completely miss out in Christ from these verses. You could read, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing for he chose us before creation. He predestined us for adoption. But it is in Christ we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. He chose us in him, and we are adopted through Jesus Christ. In these first 11 verses of, uh, in these first 14 verses of Ephesians, it says in Christ 11 times. And it is because we're in Christ we have that security. For anyone who was here last week, Dan Haynes spoke, and he said that the most important thing for us in the whole universe is that God the Father loved God the Son because we get to share in that love. And it is by being in Christ that we have these spiritual blessings. And I think sometimes we think of being in Christ, kind of like this line, and we're in Christ, but there's a treadmill that's heading that way. We're like running to stay in here. You make a mistake and you're swept out and you're no longer in Christ. But that's not how it is. When we believe in Jesus and we give our life to him, we are in Christ. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians that all of us who are in Christ are a new creation. And as God's people in Christ, we are chosen and we can rest secure in our new identity as being in Christ and in the promises that come with that position. And Patty's going to talk a little bit more in his talk about Jesus, who he is, what he did, why that matters. Um, But The second thing, a main thing that I want to focus on in this talk is the Father's heart in giving these blessings. In love, he predestined us for adoption in accordance with his pleasure and will. His grace was freely given. Often, I think of God as begrudgingly letting us in. I read the word adoption and I think of the Dursleys in Harry Potter where Harry's parents die and so they're forced to take him in, but they really don't want him, so they chuck him under the stairs in a closet and kind of pretend he's not there. And they certainly don't treat him the way that they do Dudley, yeah, Dudley Dursley. Um, and so, but in this, in the NIV, there's a little note that um, is next to adoption into sonship that says that the Greek word for this is a legal term which refers to full legal standing of an adopted male in Roman culture. We are adopted as full children, not fostered or in temporary care. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I'm on like a trial run as a child of God to see if I'm good enough to get full on adopted. But God has already adopted us out of love 
and our place in his family is not dependent on our actions because we are securing Christ. Don't get me wrong, there is a high call on our life. The Bible is clear that there is a cost to being Christian. We're called to live our lives differently, to live in a way that reflects our place in God's family. But our place in his family is not dependent on our success. Um, like in the royal family, there are certain expectations that you might have of a member of the royal family, and sometimes they may not quite meet those expectations, but that doesn't make them no longer royal. Them being royal is a fact, an identity, a secured position. Similarly, we are called to love God, and that looks like living our lives differently. But the amazing news is that we are secured in Jesus. Our identity is in him, and we have a position as loved children of God. I think it's also important to note that this isn't plan B. God wasn't like, that's it, Jesus, I'm done with these guys. These humans, no, I'm done. Your turn, you're up. This was the plan from the beginning. In verse four, it says, we were chosen in Christ before the creation of the world. And in verse five, it says that we were predestined for adoption. What exactly it means for us to be predestined, I honestly don't know. That is a whole sermon in and of itself. But what I do know is that this was always God's plan. And it was a plan that was born out of love. Isn't that just mad that the God who is love, who is life, who is all that is good, decided that you, who to be honest are broken and constantly failing to live up to the person that you want to be, before the creation of time, God decided that you would be holy and blameless in his sight. That when we one day approach his throne, he won't see us for the mistakes we've made, for what we have or haven't achieved. He won't see us for those hidden dark thoughts that we keep from the rest of the world. He will look at us and view us as holy and blameless as his dearly loved children. And ultimately, that should lead us to praise. This passage begins with praise, with praise to God, and ends with praise of his glorious grace. These are amazing truths, which are absolutely essential to the hope that we have as Christians. But they're also truths that are really difficult to believe. I've spent my whole life hearing things like this. But it's only now as I'm beginning to learn Bible verses, as I'm beginning to speak scripture like this over myself, that I'm very slowly actually beginning to believe some of these things. So what about you? You've heard me talk about this. Do you truly believe these things? Do you treasure them? You're gonna be able to found your life on them, ground your identity on them? Or do you find them actually really hard to believe? So I'm just gonna end by praying for the Spirit to help us to believe these truths, to make them more and more real to us. So God, thank you that out of love, you bring us into your family. Holy Spirit, help us to believe these truths. 
Help us to rest in the security of our identity as being children of God in Christ, dearly loved. Amen. That was quite amazing, wasn't it? And God was speaking to you tonight then. God was speaking to you through Lizzie. And even as she was speaking, I was thinking that there's someone here. They don't know this. They're hearing this. They can see that she knows something. And your heart was just being warmed and stirred. God loves you. And he wants you joined to his son. What do you have to do? You just say yes to him. At the end of the service, we'll tell you a bit more how, but just say yes to him. We're going to hear more about who he is, what he's done, and what he thinks of you. Paddy, come on up. Round of applause for Paddy. Hello. hello. Whoa, that is really loud, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the warning, Lizzie. Um, amazing. So I'm going to be uh, focusing on verses 7 to 10 in this chapter. So let me just read them now. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So hello, my name's Patrick, or Paddy, as most of you will probably know. Um, I'm a worship intern here, along with Finn, another back, big up Finn. Um, and it is a bit weird being up here without a guitar, so Josh, if I pick up your guitar at some point, I'm sorry, it might just make me feel a bit more settled and comfortable. Um, but one of the really important things and key things about being a worship intern here is that you love singing. Obviously, we have to sing. Um, and early on in our internship year, myself and Finn realized we really do love singing. And we had this shared bond over such a nostalgic band called McFly, which I'm sure many of you, there we go, some fans in the room, we love that. Um, and this shared love was just so profound that we ended up performing a bit of a duet to some of our intern housemates. Um, the song, It's All About You, I'm sure you know it well. And as I was reading this passage that I've just read out from Ephesians, I just really felt like Paul would be there singing those words. It's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you to Jesus. I know McFly are quite a long way from, you know, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien that we love to quote in this church, but I just felt this was so profound that I had to talk about it. And I could just see Paul going, it's all about you, Jesus. And then the more I read, actually, the more I thought, yeah, it is really all about him. It's all about Jesus. But it's also about what Jesus has done for me. And it's about what he's done for us as his church, as his bride. And so that's what I'm going to go into a bit tonight. So let's start by looking straight at verse 7. And Paul couldn't be clearer that it's in him, as Lizzie was saying, it's in him, in Jesus, that we have redemption available to each of us. And Lizzie talked a bit earlier about this being a plan A. This isn't kind of some plan C, plan D that God's come up with. Actually, this is plan A. And it's executed directly through Jesus' life on earth and his death on a cross. And so I'm going to aim a bit higher at some sort of higher brow references now um, with an American theologian, Philip Kennison, who said this. 
Incarnation represents not a change in plans, but the supreme expression of the lengths to which God is willing to go in order to embody this eternal, suffering, steadfast love. Jesus in human form is an earthly manifestation of God's everlasting love for each of us. And in verse 8, Paul talks about God lavishing the riches of his grace on us. It speaks of a God ready and willing to go above and beyond to communicate his love for us. And as we must always come back to, this lavishing of grace comes directly through the cross of Christ. It's a cross that tore the temple curtain in two and one that reconciled the creatures with the one who created them. Now I think it's worth noting at this point that as we read through the rest of Ephesians, we come to chapters in which Paul sets out some plans for the church and he provides some instruction for good Christian discipleship. And yet none of that is of any value or importance to either the church in Ephesus or to us today if we miss the person behind these foundational truths of forgiveness, of redemption, and of sonship that we see here in chapter one. If we miss Jesus, nothing else matters. So turning our attention to verses nine and 10, we see that Paul is starting to expand on God's plan for all of life, which is a pretty hefty start for the Ephesians to try and deal with. Um, And yet again, he's really at pains to emphasize that it's all about Jesus. Verse 9 talks about the mystery of his will, which he purposed in Christ. Elsewhere in scripture, we're given incredible truths about the Son, about Jesus. In John 1 verse 1 starts, in the beginning was the word. Colossians chapter 1 verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Hebrews 1 verse 3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. All these are verses that describe the Son and they're also verses that are found really early on in each of their respective books. And that just shows us that they are truths that are essential to our understanding of the God that we worship. And so Paul's words to the Ephesians in verse nine, that God's will is purposed in Christ, combines with these other verses from scripture to paint a picture of a plan for existence that is not only founded on the Son, but it is also directly revealed through him, through his life on earth, through his death and through his resurrection. But the amazing thing is that the cross isn't the end of the story, it's actually the start of a new one a story of eternity, of heaven and earth being made new. Revelation 21 gives us an amazing understanding of the culmination of this new story. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And later on he writes, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And in all of the beauty and the wonder of this eternity with God dwelling among us, with no more pain and suffering, Paul tells us, in verse 10 of our Ephesians passage, that this unity will be brought to all things under Christ. It is Jesus who holds eternity in his hands, who brings heaven and earth together. 
Now I've got a friend who's gluten-free. This does link, don't worry, just gonna. <laughs> um, and her husband was recently telling me about his gluten-free cooking exploits, which from first-hand experience I can say weren't completely awful. They were actually not bad. And I asked him what the trick was, and he told me about this thing that's called xanthan gum. It's an ingredient that you add to gluten-free baking to bring the mixture together. Because when you don't have that gluten, what you're baking is just going to fall apart. But this gum just holds it together. And I think actually in this passage, Paul is really trying to present Jesus in a really similar sense. He is that xanthan gum that holds this mess of a world together. And the amazing truth of our faith is that Jesus plays exactly the same role in each of our individual lives. He is simultaneously sustaining the entire cosmos and providing meaning, purpose, and togetherness to each of us. And so I just want to leave all of us, me included here, with a really simple challenge to renew our trust in Jesus, or perhaps to place our trust in him for the first time. He is already holding everything together. And if he's capable of holding the entire universe in his hands, I'm pretty sure he can handle whatever state we think our lives might be in. By trusting in him, we're not giving up, we're not failing, but instead we're choosing plan A. We're choosing a relationship with a God who loved and still loves us so much that he came to this earth and he hung on a cross so that we might know him. So let us trust in the one who gave absolutely everything up for us. Amen. It's good this, isn't it? Thanks so much, Paddy. Jesus, in his incarnation, his life, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, is the lengths that God would go to to bring you to himself. He loves you, and he's for you, and he's after you, and he invites you to come to him. Wonderful. Last but definitely not least is the wonderful Fran. Come on up, Fran. Hello, hello. Okay. Hey, guys. So, yeah, I'm Fran, and I'm so blessed to be in the midst of all you here today. Um, I'm a second-year medic, um, and I will be sharing the remaining part of our passage from Ephesians 1. 11 to 14, so I'll read it from the England, English Standard Version. I bet we're not used to that here. Usually it's the NIV. Okay, so it says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Incredible. So, as, <laughs> as has been the theme from tonight, this passage, these passages are pretty hefty stuff. And when I was doing a bit of research, I really resonated with a preacher that I came across. So Martin Lloyd-Jones, just to illustrate the depth of how complex this is, he did four sermons 
Four sermons just on the four verses I'm about to go into. And when he opened his first sermon, he said this, clearly one cannot deal with the entire statement in these verses on one occasion. And I definitely resonate with this, but (laughs) I will try my best to talk about the things that I found quite compelling and quite encouraging. So, as we've heard from our two previous brilliant speakers, we have been adopted as the sons and the daughters of the Most High. The God of the universe has called me and you his sons and daughters. What a privilege, what a blessing. And I really think Galatians 4 paints this so beautifully. And it says, God sent forth his son, who was born of a woman under the law to redeem those who are under the law, that's you and I, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because we are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so, you are, so we are no longer slaves, but sons. And if we are sons, then we are heirs through God. And this is the bit I'm going to focus on today. We are heirs through God and we are heirs to an inheritance that Paul speaks about in this passage. So um, just to kind of get the vibe of what inheritance is, um, generally it's you inherit title, land, estate, and usually it's you legally pass on that to your son, your daughter, and this usually comes Um, after someone has passed away. And I really think this speaks to the difference between inheriting things on this earth versus inheriting things from God. On this earth, inheritance is born out of death, and it's a reminder of just how fleeting our lives are. James, the brother of Jesus, talks about how our lives are like mists that appear for a, a split second and then go away. Our lives on this earth end, and inheriting things, whilst it's beautiful, it also marks the end of a life. Whilst this is a blunt reminder of how not in control we are in our lives, I think there is comfort to be found because we, as, um, as Paul has said in this passage, we are heirs to an everlasting inheritance from the God of the universe, the God of the heavens and the earth, and this is one that is eternal. Whilst this was born out of the death of Jesus Christ, this was fulfilled and sealed in his resurrection, and as Paul says here, with the Holy Spirit, by God the Father, and I think it's so beautiful how the Trinity plays in this. In Christ, our inheritance was sealed with the Holy Spirit by God the Father. The Trinity, God the Trinity, three in one, is so intimately involved in every step of the story that God so beautifully writes for us. So, yeah. (laughs) Cool. So, Fran, you keep talking about inheritance. Paul has said it four or five times. What, What is this inheritance? So, my understanding is that this inheritance is our everlasting inheritance or the portion that God has reserved for his people. One Peter says, and I keep referring back to the Bible, it is a brilliant book for those who haven't read, and it's just full of wisdom. Um, One Peter 3 verse 4 says, we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us. And I think this is the key thing. Our inheritance is one that is kept in heaven. And whilst I don't know exactly the blueprints of what that may look like, as um, Paddy said from Revelations 21, I know that this will be a period of joy where God is reigning with his people. You'll be face to face with God. He'll be the God of his people and he will wipe every tear from every eye. Death will be no more. Pain, mourning will be no more. The old order has passed away and new things are coming to be. 
just can't wait, guys. I don't know about you. I can't wait. And um, yeah, so kind of going back to this inheritance, which is in heaven, I um, was raised in the church and I was raised hearing endless times and times again about not storing the treasures on earth, but rather in the heavens and store them in the heavens where moths can't get to them and where robbers can't get to them. And as 12-year-old Fran, this was quite an appealing image, you know, I wasn't a fan of moths and I definitely wasn't a fan of robbers, so perfect to me. However, as I kind of grew up and continued in my walk of life, it was so easy to kind of lose touch of this, lose sight of this heavenly treasure. It's quite an abstract thing, and I don't know about you guys, but the world we live in thrives and glorifies um, um, instant gratification. The world gives you this narrative and feeds you this narrative that if you want something now, you both have the right to have it, but you also have the means and should go and get it. The richest man in the world, set to be the first trillionaire by 2026, Jeff Bezos, he is the founder of Amazon, and that is literally the epitome of instant gratification. Click now, get in the morning, or even on the same day. This world tells you that if you want something, you you should get it. However, the Bible flips this on its head and it says, why, what is the point of gaining the world in order of losing your soul? So I feel really, really encouraged by the words of um, the author of Hebrew, I don't know who it is, who tells us to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, keep our eyes focused on the one who se who's seated on the right-hand side of God the Father in heaven. And I really think he encourages us to have a kingdom perspective. And having this kingdom and eternal perspective, it shapes your um, earthly uh, priorities and your earthly attitudes. No longer are you building your life and your goals and your value on this world, which is fleeting and changing, but instead you're building your life and your value and your joy on the one who has yet to break a promise, the keeper of all promises, the eternal one, the, the, the maker of heaven and earth, um, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen, <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I just feel really encouraged and I really think that building our lives on the rock, the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ, is both the securest and the smartest thing that we can do. There is so much security and freedom to be found in this. And I really feel really encouraged by one of my favorite artists, his name is Jonathan McReynold, and he created a song called God is Good. And he talks about how may your bad days prove that God is good. And that as a lyric is so powerful because on my bad days, I'm probably the last person to be screaming that God is good. But this comes from a place of understanding that even if it looks like your situation is bad, God is still working. And all, the ultimate goal and the ultimate aim is that God works in all things for the good of those who love him. And that your inheritance is still secure regardless of what the worldly circumstances are saying. So as um, yeah, so I guess my closing exhortation and encouragement to everyone, I hope I'm not running over time, is that whilst having this kingdom perspective, being focused on heaven may seem really difficult at times. It may seem impossible. We live in a world that glorifies, celebrates getting things now, and it may seem a little bit silly to some. I encourage you to keep going. I encourage you that it's the best decision that you can ever make. And who better a person to ask for more faith, more trust, more hope than the creator of faith himself, God? And it says in Hebrew 12 too, that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. In other versions, it says our salvation. And I was really encouraged to read how in the New Testament, the disciples, um, in Luke 17, 5, they were just chilling with Jesus. I think they were just talking about forgiveness, you know, everyday conversations, how 
you know, we should forgive our enemies. But the disciples recognized that their faith wasn't strong enough to take the next steps in being obedient regarding forgiveness. To them, it seemed impossible. How are you telling me to forgive so many times, Jesus? So they asked Jesus to increase my faith. And I really feel like this is similar now. We're being encouraged to look and having our hope in something that seems so far-fetched, so abstract, but as, as the disciples did, I really encourage you to ask Jesus to increase your faith. And this isn't a bad prayer to be made. And I really think there's certain beauty in acknowledging your weaknesses because you're acknowledging that you're weak and you have limitations, but God is strong as, and is limitless. And you're acknowledging that in your weaknesses, God's strength is made perfect. So I really encourage you to just have confidence in God. And in this passage, the final thing I'm going to say is that God didn't leave us empty-handed. He gave us the deposit of his Holy Spirit, the deposit of our inheritance. And this inheritance is sealed with the Holy Spirit that certifies us, validates us, confirms us, and has became part of our inheritance. God himself, in the form of the Holy Spirit, has became part of what we will inherit. And we can live with the expectation and we can live with the optimism that we will inherit so much more. There is so much beauty to come. There is so much joy to come. And let us walk in this truth and in this hope that our inheritance has been certified, validated, and secured in Christ with the Holy Spirit by God the Father. Amen. Yeah.